All right, let's do this. How are you, what the fuckers? What the fuck, buddies? What the fucking ears? What the fucknicks? What the fuckalodians? What the fuckerians? What the fucklets? What the fuck electives? Yeah, that's still from the Jacob list. Oh, and what the fuck cumuli? All right, so there, Fiona. What the fuck cumuli? What the fuck cumuli? That was a request from uh, the lovely uh, Miss Fiona Apple who pestered me about what the fuck cumuli, and I just wanted to throw that out there. I'm not name dropping. She was on the show. This is Mark Marin. This is my show. This is WTF with Mark Marin, me, my garage. It's uh, nighttime. Who's on the show today? Wait, don't get into that yet. Tell the people where you're going to be. All right, well, this week, Wednesday, I'll be in San Francisco at Comms... Comms? I'll be at San Fran... I'll be at San Francisco. Holy fuck! Come on! What is going on with my brain? It's skidding all over the place. Wednesday... Oh, boy. Wednesday, the 8th of August... I will be in San Francisco at Cobb's Comedy Club performing a benefit for the animal shelter, San Francisco ACC, with Arge Barker. Okay. On Saturday, August 11th, I will be in Utah at Wise Guys for two shows. If you would like to get tickets for either of those shows, go to my website, WTFPod.com. All right, I got through that. Fine. Who's on the show? Ryan Stout, the very funny Ryan Stout. Stout? Stout. Jesus. Stout. Ryan Stout. The sardonic yet uh, uplifting Ryan Stout. You'll enjoy that. You'll enjoy him. I'm not telling you that. I'm saying it. What the fuck is going on with my brain? God damn it. Something's going on in my brain, and it's just that I'm not freaking out about things right now. Got a lot of things going on. I'm too busy to freak out about it. I don't know. Maybe I'm actually engaged and enjoying it. I'm writing my IFC, my IFC show. I can't talk. I can't talk. This can't. I picked the wrong job. That's. I never thought it'd go down like that, where I'd like somehow get a stutter this late in life. All of a sudden, I have some other horrendous speech impediment. This is like head injury time. I probably got a, a thingy in my brain. No, stop it. Come on. Where were we? I'm writing my show for IFC. We're in it. Uh, it's me and two showrunners and another guy. Uh, we're at it. We're writing. I've never done this before. I'm writing 10 episodes of television. We're breaking stories. I didn't even know what breaking stories meant, but I'm breaking them. We're doing it, and it's going well. I'm very excited about it. We've got some good stories going on in there. Some of them are amplifications of of things you you may be familiar with but not the same because different things happen to to me you know it's weird about when you're busy and you do a sort of solo profession when you really got to sit down and start telling the stories of your life you, you realize just how much of your life goes on online on email on texting on uh, you know how little you actually see friends so anytime anything happens in my life now I, i'm paying very deep attention to it drawing from that experience the whole show can't just be about me walking people to my garage and talking to them for an hour but it's going well so if any of you are wondering how that's going and i'd be honest with you uh we're in a good flow and i'm getting along with the guys and we're writing some good shit so that uh so look forward to that show it's only a year away so uh put that on your calendar with set your tivos for a year from now look you know i've discussed uh baby the possibility of having a baby. I think that we all know 
that I think in my mind that I'm too old to have a baby or perhaps I'm too frightened to have a baby. Perhaps I think I'm too panicky to, holy fuck, too panicky to have a baby. Whatever it is, I've avoided it thus far. Too selfish, perhaps. All right? So you all know that those things are going on and that I'm living with Jessica now. And all those things are going on in my mind. So instead of maybe being forthright and honest about those things, about my fears, uh, I chose to say to Jessica this. How are we going to have a baby when you can't even clean up your room? How are we going to have a baby when if if even after I built you a closet, you can't put things away? What's going to happen to the baby? Is it it's it's going to all be on me? It's going to be all I'm going to be cleaning up after two children in my house. So instead of really address my own personal fears, I just dumped it all on her, which I think is the the, the male thing to do. If not the uh, I wouldn't say it's the right thing to do, but bought me a little time. But now uh, something's backfiring. Something's gone horribly wrong with my uh, my stall. All of a sudden, I go away for the day. You know, she's still on summer break. I come home. My God, the bathroom's clean. Holy shit, all the dishes are done. She's cleaned her clothes and picked them up and hung them places. What's happened to the woman that I loved? <laughs> Who replaced her with this person that takes care of the house and cleans up after herself? This is astounding. And then, like, I, I don't know that I really put it together, but I kind of did in the back of my head. But she said, um, did I pass the baby test? <laughs> we put a baby in me now? And I, and, I, and I thought, like, wow, well, I guess now it's, uh, you know, now, now it's, you know, on me. It's coming down to the wire on this thing, folks. And all I know is if she keeps fucking cleaning the house, I'm going to have a baby in it. That's what I'm thinking. I better do it soon. I, I don't want the kid I don't want the kid to just get old enough to be excited to do things where all I want to do is is nothing. All right, well here's what we're gonna do now. Matt Graham was on the show a while back. You remember him? He remember but 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 he was uh second in the world in Scrabble. He uh tried to play uh college basketball at forty, takes a lot of vitamins, collects board games. But I just watched that 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 movie Wordplay. Is that what it's called? About the he was in that. He was in the book. Wasn't happy with the book. Brilliant guy. Known him a long time. And also, you might remember he tried to cut his head off uh, with a butter knife. So a lot of you had some feedback about that. You you found it disturbing, or some of you found it fascinating. And but maybe you, I think you felt that that maybe Matt wasn't taking care of himself. Well, since then, Matt is has put together a one-man show that he's going to be premiering at the uh, New York City Fringe Festival. It's called This Too Shall Suck. And you can go to thistooshallsuck.com for information about this show. And uh, I thought we'd give a call, put a call into Matt and let him talk the show up a little bit. And, and just to, to show you, I hope, let's call him, that Matt Graham is doing well and excited about his his upcoming show. So let's call Matt Graham. Hello. Matt, it's Mark Marin. I kind of figured. <laughs> Can I? <laughs> and it's very funny because my producer just texted me uh, twice. 
like the second you call like at 930. Let's talk about the show for a minute because, I mean, since I last talked to you, uh, both at your house and in my hotel room, uh, you, would st- you were starting to think about doing this one-man show. And uh, I, you know, how, how has it progressed? Where, what was the process like? Yes, I was thinking of doing this one-man show, and it was bouncing around my mind, I think, because, you know, that one girl I had to date with, Gwelda, had, like, you know, the whole thing had, like, kind of flipped me out. And also, I was running out of money, and, you know, I wanted to finance Ruth's care since he had 30,000 health problems. Is your cat. So I thought, well, that was my cat, the one I really, really loved. And so I thought, well, maybe I'll get back into this, you know, whatever. And, you know, like I did, I procrastinated, dragged my feet. I worked a little bit on something, then tore my Achilles and whatever. The next thing I know, I um, um, had a show and two nights to do it. And I I got one stand-up set in for five minutes to practice before it. So basically, I determined that the show was my second and third time on stage in eight years. So my second time on stage in eight years, I did an hour and five minutes. Oh, how'd that uh, feel? Yeah, well, and it was great. I mean, it was a lot of fun. I mean, because I was just talking to people, and, it, you know, I wasn't, you know, at, at uh, Yuck Yucks in Topeka, you know what I mean, where everybody's partially my enemy. You didn't walk up angry? Huh? No, I've changed. I mean, it's funny because, you know, you, <laughs> you talk to me, you know, I can still have my moments of, you know, like vitriol, but as a performer, it's totally <laughs> different, man. I mean, when I was a kid, I'm like, you better listen to me. And now I'm up there like, cause I need somebody to talk to. So what's and that the, comes across right away. What's the show about? The show is biographical, which doesn't sound all that interesting, except for the fucking life I've had. And um, so some of the stories, um, like, that I told on your show before, at least one. What's it called? The show is called This Too Shall Suck. And and what is the pitch line? Basically, it's about, it's a, what's the theme of the show? It's biography, but the theme of the show is that uh, uh, nothing works out for me. I don't really do anything right. Either I fuck it up myself or I do... Uh, a really fucking great job and circumstances bury me or politics bury me or, you know, whatever. So it's, it's a chronicle of one failure to the next failure. Wow. Uh, so it sounds, big, so it's like Matt's book of Job. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I, I identify a lot with that, you know, which shows how sick I am since <laughs> I have only luxury problems, yeah. but you know, maybe they'll write, you know, uh, write a book one day, like, you know, uh, when we get some like new chapter and verse, about you know me being punished with luxury problems. So did you? you know? uh, so you talk about so you talk about almost being number one in the world in Scrabble. You talk about almost uh, making it on the college basketball team at forty. Uh, you talk about uh, what else? Do you talk about? Do you talk about what you talked about on my show before? Do you talk about almost cutting your head off with a butter knife or no? Yeah, actually, you know, that was uh, that was actually one of the... I, I was not as close to getting it done. That was a pretty profound failure, because I think I ended up a long way from, like, uh, um, chopping my head off. Yeah. So, like, the college basketball team was much, much closer, you know? Yeah. And uh, it, it turns out, I mean, I think I I think I, I have a better book with the uh, self-decapitation thing than sure. I probably did with the white shadow sure. approach. So. <laughs> Uh, yeah, I talk about that. I mean, I talk about all the key stories. I hit on little things a little bit on how I went all the way back to being second and stuff, you know. I was second in the state in table tennis, you know, and then suddenly I had like a 
uh, psychological freak out and I couldn't read spin and I couldn't play like at all, <laughs> yeah. you know, yeah. like I couldn't beat somebody on their basement table. You know, again, it was my brain consuming me this show yeah. it, to just give it a big plug of something special. If it's not the most, it is top five most honest self-effacing shows ever. I say shit on stage. People would not say on their deathbed. You know what I mean? Sure. And I just own right up to it. And it's not just about suicide. It's about sex. And I mean, like, there's nothing held back. Okay, so This Too Shall Suck is going to be at, your show is going to be at the uh, 2012 New York City Fringe Festival, August 10th through 16th. And you can get information on that at thistooshallsuck.com. This is exciting, man. Yeah, I, I mean, I'm really excited about it. You know, it like, uh, I, I was living in complete fear for like two weeks and then something shifted and now I'm all excited. You what? know how it is with like, you know, us mid-major depressives. I'm not saying you are one, but I, I know you at least understand the mindset. Yeah, I, I grew up with um, one. There was one in the house. <laughs> um, yeah, so now I'm psyched again and today I've just gone nonstop and, you know, I mean, here's the thing. I'm just hoping I can get some people to see it. No, like, they'll come you know, see it. I mean, you get some good press. It, it's, it sounds uh, it sounds great. It sounds like something everyone can relate to that, uh, you know, the struggle to be better and the, the persistence of failure is, you know, I, I, it doesn't sound like you're going to be self-pitying. It sounds like you're going to be hilarious. Again, yeah, as much as funny because, like, uh, being, like, one of the most commented on guests in the history of your show or whatever – the number of people that hate me and you know i guess i can't blame them like, i don't know I look if they, at, like assumptions they make or me, whatever let me tell but you in something. real life in real life i uh you know i'm a guy with a lot of self-awareness i don't think anyone hated you i think they were looking for a happy ending and i think they might have it uh in this show just by virtue of the fact that you know whatever you may have failed at, uh, at in the past you pulled it together you focused and you put together uh you know this amazing monologue that's now going to be in the New York City Fringe Festival so I, I don't think people had a problem with you necessarily other than like well, I was, whatever I mean I I didn't read too many of them because you'll go nuts you know I started thinking well maybe I'll try and do a thoughtful reply to this one but you know I don't like the people like who thanked me on Facebook. The really funny thing you said about the happy ending is like I would see uh, the difference in perspective if you know somebody and you don't. Because like, um, you know, the word got back a couple people. I know Ennis said, oh, uh, Marin's whole cross that you're doing really well. And at the same day, I read a comment like, it was great to see somebody on Mark's show whose life is already in the shitter. You know, <laughs> everybody on there is doing stuff. So if you know me, I'm doing fucking great. <laughs> but, you know, if you're putting me against the standard baseline, my life is in the shitter. <laughs> so what is this thing you wrote <laughs> after rehearsal? Huh? What's the thing you wrote after rehearsal that you wanted to talk about? I, you know, and not to be, I got all reflective, I think, because I was a little loopy and my blood sugar was bad. And I wrote, um, you know, I, I, I'm not even sure, but like I said, everything's so edible. It's just a, it's a, an open letter to God type of thing. And it's funny because, like I said, that's a big part of my show is talking about synchronicity and where my life has taken me and the unlikely things that brought me to be without a drink for 11 years now, whatever. So I wrote this. Um, uh, kind of quickly, but uh, I'll share it with you real quick. First of all, like, I never had a start, and, and I know people have an issue with gender and God, so I started it. Uh, Mr. and Mrs. God. Life, <laughs> life has me confused. It has many of us confused. I mentor a 17-year-old kid. His name is Charlie, and he's made a big difference in my life. 
His mother smoked crack, so he wasn't born with all the intestines he needs. He has had 40 surgeries, but he's a tough kid. And when Charlie watches the Pink Panther, he lights up like he hasn't been sick a day in his life. I would like to be more like Charlie, but I cannot identify or feel joy. Still, I am sure there are days when Charlie asks himself, why me? Why was I put on earth to endure this pain? We all wonder why we're here. What is our purpose? Is there a meaning to this? I believe you exist, God, but many sensible folks don't, and I can't blame them one bit. The whole world waits on answers. But one question stands out above all. Why the fuck did I never get Letterman? <laughs> Luminaries like J.R. Havlin and Stevie Ray Fromstein got Letterman. I am from the same neighborhood as Dave, went to the same high school. I bought my junk food where Dave used to sack groceries. The show auditioned me 20 times when I was a teenager, not even knowing I had a connection to Indianapolis, just that I had great material. I bombed in front of the segment producers that like me, and I killed in front of the ones who didn't get me. As it always is with me, wrong place, wrong time. So, enough already. I realize I'm not holding the cards here, God, and the most I can do is not capitalize you when I write. But I ask, humbly, blow who you need to blow and get me on Letterman. If for no other reason, do it for Charlie. <laughs> That's beautiful, so there, Matt. That is... I wrote that in the last two hours, so apologies for the choppiness. I just had to like get that off my chest, you know. Yeah, I, I hear you, and I and I and I think it's a it's I think it's a great uh, it's a great tease for the show. I I think you might want to think about putting that in there. <laughs> yeah, I, uh, unfortunately, like, and this is the really good thing. Like now that now that I uh, debase myself and people actually like me, I get a lot of laughs even doing stand-up, and I always have more time than I think I do. Yeah. <laughs> like, we timed my first show out at 30 minutes, and it went an hour five, and the next night I did an hour 20. And, you know, with Fringe, you've got to do um, what Fringe, you know, asks you to do, which is an hour. So, you know, it's important that I not lose, lose sight of the forest for the trees, and I get my main message in. Well, that's great, you know. man. Let me uh, let me just say the dates again. It's uh, it's at the the New York City Fringe Festival this year, 2012. It's called This Too Shall Suck, and it's going to be playing August 10th through 26. You can go to Matt's uh, uh, website for the show, uh, which is it's right down. I'm sorry. Go ahead. It's right down in Soho at this really cool place where like revolutionary war leaders used to hang out, the Huron Club. So the venue's freaking awesome, also. And be- before you, because I can tell you're rapping on me, and I got I got to get one more plug, Go ahead. which is that I'm doing a week at Gotham uh, in uh, four or five weeks. A week's not set exactly for sure, but I want people to become aware so they can follow my stand up because it's pretty good too. I, it, it's absolutely good, and, I, and I'm, I'm fucking happy for you, man. Thank you very much. All right, Matt. Thanks for talking. Hey, thank you for talking to me. Take care. All right, buddy. So he sounded pretty good to me. That was Matt Graham. Go see his show. Go to thistooshallsuck.com for those dates and let me know how that is. Let me know how that show is. Now it's my honor and privilege to talk to the uh, wonderfully funny. He's got a new record out. Well, it's pretty new. Uh, We'll talk about it. Ryan Stout in the garage now. You know how this works? Yeah, I know how to talk into a mic. But I mean, do you, you okay? Yeah, I'm no, all right. No, I, I figure you'll ask some questions, and I'm just going to try to be present and answer them. Is that, is that the prep you did? <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, I thought in my head, like, well, you know, 
I want to I want to mention this thing and I want to mention that thing and I'm like, yeah, let's not go in and try to have an agenda. Let's just go in. No agenda. <laughs> Ryan Stout. No, no agenda. Ryan Stout in the garage with no agenda. Thanks for having me. No, thank you. And I'm sorry <laughs> that you brought me a pint of ice cream. A pint of peanut butter cup fucking ice cream. Right. I just bought some last night, so now that, you bring it over. I was looking for an excuse to eat it, not during the <laughs> interview, but to eat it during the day. Yeah, and I, I gave it, you one. Yeah, but now but, but now you've challenged me, because now <laughs> I know that's there tonight, and I know I'm not exercising, and it, I don't want to make this all about me, but you fucked me, man. Yeah, I know, I know. Well, you did something, because uh, I've only been here one other time, right. and uh, we were hanging out, you and me and Ryan Singer, Right. and uh, I remember you having a bowl of... of Vanilla ice cream right. and taking the Reese's minis, just the bag of them, the right. unwrapped ones, right. and just dumping the bag into the bowl. Right. And I was like, wow, I've never seen just such such indulgence. Such just, compulsive. Just blatant. <laughs> like, not even, I'm going to put a few of these in. No, you dumped the whole bag. Where you did, went for it. Where did that bag come from? I wouldn't have bought that. How did that get here? <laughs> I have no idea. Well, who brought me that? Ah. So I just listened to your uh, album. Part of it. Or did you get through all of it? Because I, I, I walked in, you were listening to part. I know. I thought I could get it done. There was a, some sort of demand sent through your people. To <laughs> my uh, people, they're very demanding. Yeah, it was something like, "Make sure Marin listens to my CD." Was that what I heard? No, that's not correct at all. Oh, I mean, uh, you had one, and I, I just kind of asked uh, if if we were going to do this, if you were going to listen to it first, right? Just out of curiosity, right? And then I was told, "Oh yeah, we'll make sure that Mark listens to it first. Oh, and someone I was like, t- "Someone uh, said that." Uh, oh, My people said all that. All right, yeah, your people, <laughs> your people took control you of your Sam, agenda. Sam said that. <laughs> yeah, Sam uh, said, I'll, "I'll get him." To, there it was, sitting on my table, ready to be put in. Uh-huh. Sure enough, an hour before you get here, I'm like, "Fuck, I got to listen to Ryan." Fuck. Ryan, last, last minute, his jokes got a cram, <laughs> got a cram on Stout. Yeah, yeah. I listened to your album this week, so uh, I oh, crammed as well. Oh yes, you got any questions? Uh when you did the Creationism Museum, yeah. mm-hmm. you were in uh, Cincinnati the week right after I was. Oh, really? The, exactly the week after. Right after you? And we went to the Creationism Museum. Oh, it didn't make your record, though, did it? No, it did not. What was your experience like? Who'd you go with? The same guys I went with? No, uh, I went with uh, Brian Gutman. You know Brian yep. out of Austin. I love Brian. He's very funny He's guy. one of my favorite nice people guy. to hang out with. And well, he's, well-trimmed beard. He's he's the reason we went, because uh-huh. we checked into the hotel, and he was looking at the, all the, uh, uh-huh. you know, you check into the hotel, there's yeah. the pamphlets there, right. and Brian was like, oh, we have to do this. Yeah, you have to. And I just nodded my head up and down and went, yep. Weren't you amazed at how nice the place was? Like it was like a lot of money and yeah, thought when that was it. that was a big thought of mine. I was like, "There's just millions of dollars yeah. in here." I I was uh, I was kind of fascinated with it. Yeah, and and I you know I don't know, man. I mean, they seemed like nice enough people. They mu- I, like now that I know that you went, they must indulge like just ironic idiots, <laughs> non-believers going through there to mock them all the time. Right, right. And it's some sort of exercise in them praying for their <laughs> enemies. You got to love your enemies, and here they come, and they're very nice. Well, because we went, and then uh, we got back to the club later that night, and Ryan Singer showed up, and Jeff Tate was there, and we were talking to them about it, and then the next week, those two are in the car with you going down there, and I was like, wait a second, are they turning this into a whole big thing now? Oh, yeah. It's got to be the pilgrimage. Now, yeah. I think it's uh, upon any comic that goes to Go Bananas. Yeah. You have to go <laughs> down there. Where did you start, though? Um, I started in San Francisco. Yeah. I, I grew up in El Paso, Texas. Really? Yeah. That was the proper response. A lot of Border people- Border town. <laughs> That's some crazy shit. It is weird to think that 
like I grew up a straight white male in America and yeah. I grew up in a place where I was a minority. Like who gets yeah. dealt that hand? Yeah. Well, I mean, like, I, I grew up in Albuquerque and we were, yeah. I think that it was 60, 40 mm-hmm. when I grew up. Yeah. Uh, Latino uh, versus whatever else. Right. Else is. And there are a lot of people in El Paso who came over the border and don't get counted in the census. I hear that. <laughs> there's a lot of news about that these days. Right. There's an issue around that. And then my dad worked in Juarez over the border. He worked for General Motors. So he would cross the border every day. Really? And cross back. And, uh, you know, you, you heard on the news about all the Maquiladora killings. And uh, I, I remember talking to a coworker of his. And, you know, they have to go to seminars of, like, always travel in pairs and always check to see if you're being followed. And if you get kidnapped, General Motors cannot pay the ransom because that means they're going to kidnap more of us. And so I'm asking you're on your own. Yeah, I'm asking my dad's coworker who, uh, you know, they've been friends for, you know, 3 decades and uh, my dad's retired but this guy still works and I'm like it is getting bad down there. Are you are you worried at all? And he looked at me and he kind of shrugged. He was like, "Well, if I get killed on the job, that's double indemnity. So that's going to take care of my wife for a good long time." So that's just the way it is. So, oh, really? And so she's and she's looking at in. me and just nodding, like, yeah. yeah. If if he gets killed, we really win the lottery. Yeah. <laughs> well, that's so weird. You hey, got to find a walking buddy. What to... a strange way to start your day. Like, all right, let's how... go into the war zone. If we get killed, things are fine. How far into the city was it, though? I mean, it was a plant. Yeah, it was a plant. Um, I don't remember going over very much. I mean, I might have gone over once or I'm twice. I'm almost done with my ice cream, dude. I'm sorry. I mean, you can I'm go sorry. start on that other pint if you no, want. I can't. I, mean, you... I got to have a conversation here. No. <laughs> I, um, so what do you mean you never went over? It was right there. You didn't go to Juarez for the fun, for the, you know, to, for the guy, you buy chiclets there at was... the bridge. I have no memories of Juarez. <laughs> I remember going there when I was very young. You walk over a bridge and there was some kid with a cup underneath the bridge on a stick. Right. And he'd catch money. There was, uh, in high school, there were a lot of kids that went over just to party. Right. Because, you know, you can drop 10 bucks over there and get wasted and then uh walk back across the bridge but uh without your wallet or any of the other money or a memory of what happened yeah yeah and if you don't get killed great (laughs) but it wasn't as bad it doesn't seem to me before this uh this drug nonsense yeah i mean it's it's my whole thing was i I wouldn't go just because i was like i could get drunk on this side of the border and uh, if things go wrong, the worst thing that'll happen is I'll get a minor in possession ticket. Yeah, but or... um, yeah, I'll drink in my friend's garage. Like I don't need to. I don't need to go clubbing. I don't need to be in a dance club. Like if I want booze, I'm going to drink it for the booze. Right. I'm still that way. Like yeah. I'll I'll hang out at a bar all night and talk to somebody. But, but it's just conversation is sure. all I'm in it for. Yeah, oh, right. You'll drink at home. <laughs> when you drink, you drink, you know, uh, focused and in quantity. Yeah. Without sharing. We really and do no it. conversation. <laughs> Sit just, down with a bottle and go. It's time for another well, but, shot. But the idea of that, of like, you know, getting a DUI or maybe get, well, you might get in an accident and kill yourself. But I mean, to drink on this side and get busted, you're going to spend a night in jail. You drink on that side and get busted. Who the fuck knows what's going to happen? Right. And while I was in high school, there were a lot of rumors about, you know, the Juarez police force t- trying to tighten down so you shouldn't bribe them anymore because if, if they don't take the bribe, they'll take you to jail. Jesus. And, uh, you know, for years it was like, oh, yeah, just give them $20. You're well, good. Did anyone really do that? My dad bribed his way out of a few tickets. Really? Yeah. They just take the money. They just take the money. And the other thing is you're not allowed to have knives there. And my dad is, you know, he's he's a country boy from Indiana. And, I thought you were uh, going to say he's a knife wizard. He's, he's he always several knives with him. And <laughs> if there's ever a problem, he can My dad's put... a knife thrower who works for General Motors. <laughs> and um... 
<laughs> but like he always carried a pocket knife and it's just a small pocket knife yeah. that you know any man in America might carry but yeah. that's illegal there like they will confiscate it and uh, bad things will happen you carry a pocket knife no do you have one now no oh I guess you answered the question in the first <laughs> one but I was already in the, in my mind I was one headed one more question <laughs> I wanted you to have one have you said one no, now pull it and out it, and we can examine <laughs> yeah, examine knives here well you said men carry pocket knives I think there was a time when I was a kid where I carried a pocket knife yeah but I think I, there was too that should just behind me man. trying to be like my dad i guess so he still carries a pocket knife oh yeah what yeah. kind i think it's a buck yeah sure a buck yeah like a larger buck like in no. case he has to no gut an animal pretty small pretty yeah small just in case he needs to slice something open or just unscrew something or right whatever just real, to have it real now. practical is it an old one like well worn like these yeah like if he loses the pocket knife, he's got he's a sharpening gonna... kit sure like and he sits there and rubs it he's into it yeah sure. a little oil yeah yeah the, the what's strop yeah Oh, mm-hmm. he's got the strap too. Mm-hmm. No shit. He's into all of it because he comes from Indiana. Well, I I think his dad did it and uh, just passed just on utility. Sure. Yeah. I I I understand that completely. Yeah. Now I'm rethinking my choice not to carry one. I just don't think I'd use it much, really. Right. Well, I mean, they they also didn't have iPhones and iPads and whatnot. So I mean, we have new technology that we rely on now. I can't cut anything with that. I mean, no. if I were to try to unscrew something, right? Cut but some I mean, meat. you can't it, gut an animal with an iPhone. I remember my dad like opening mail with his yeah. pocket knife but yeah. i mean who gets mail anymore it's all electronic yeah we're fucked we can't even be men anymore yeah. we can't be men with knives unless no. it's a sport or a costume yeah yeah unless you're a comic-con or something <laughs> i don't know my my view of masculinity is yeah. more intellectually based so yeah you're a smart guy i was it's, listening to the uh, record more you know i listened to most of your records just before thanks yeah i probably got through 40 44 minutes of it yeah maybe. how much more is there not much it's, yeah i wanted to make the album 40 minutes like that's what I wanted to keep it to because that's what records were, right? And that's what you know, kind of yeah. for me the classic comedy tradition was. Yeah, two sides, and uh, yeah, and it's done. And plus, I think people's attention spans are shorter now. Oh no, I think they. I, I sadly, I think they demand too much out of us. Yeah, I, I do mean, too. You, I you do go, too. It's like you want to be like, I just want to be a reasonable amount of time, 40 minutes, like a record. You're like, no. No, has you, to be an hour 10. You, you've got 80 on there. <laughs> you know, you've got to fill that fucker. And if you want to put some, you know, secret stuff on, we can do yeah, it. Yeah, we can. We want that for our $10 yeah. too. But, I mean, then they expect you to do another one six months. That's fucking ridiculous. Right. Well, and my thing too is I always thought it was important to have something. Like, I didn't feel like a record should just be like, here's a great joke, here's a great joke, there's a great joke, and stack them up like that. Right. I felt like, shouldn't there be kind of a beginning, a middle, and an end? Shouldn't there be some sort of flow to it? Maybe Are you telling me I miss the ending? Threads? Like, I'm sitting here, I'm hanging on a thread? How does the CD <laughs> end? I mean, the the final bit does kind of reflect on, you know- Because you call back every, all everything. the other things? Not necessarily callbacks, just oh. a, a matter of- Oh, you got me. I mean, I'm, now I'm, I'm, I, I, I have to fight the urge to stop this interview- to go listen to the rest of your yeah, CD. Yeah, you look like you're really anxious to go do well, that. Well, it's, it's, it's mixed. It's like I could do that. I could grab the other pint. It's going to be disappointing, too. You're going to go and listen to it right now and come back and go, yeah, I don't think you you really achieved what you wanted to. No, I would never do that. I th- it sounds like all your jokes are very tight, and you've done them over and over again, and you've, you've honed your fucking craft, and you're a joke guy that's got a point of view. Thanks. Well, that's that's that, all I could that, ask for. Did that sound good? <laughs> yeah, I'm going to use that soundbite forever. That's going in the press kit, Mark. Put it on your next CD. <laughs> you can put this whole episode on the secret side of your next CD. <laughs> it is it is a thing that, uh, you know, there are people that understand there's kind of an intellectual versus emotional thing happening 
throughout the album. And if they refuse to identify the intellectual part of it, they just go, oh, well, this is crass and loathsome and dirty and awful. Well, you talk about that on the CD, that you're, you're provoking people. You're like mm-hmm. one of those guys. You're a button pusher, the charming button pusher. It's the, you know, you and Jezelnik, who you know, right? He was my roommate. See, what did you guys do? Make some sort of pact with Satan to fuck with people's heads for the rest of your life? Well, it was I was in San Francisco yeah. and, uh, you know, just working on my thing, developing it. And then yeah. uh, I moved to L.A. and uh, somebody said, hey, do you know this Anthony Jeselnik guy? And I was kind of like, yeah, I mean, kind of. I don't know. I, I think I saw him on Premium Blend. They're like, yeah, you guys are identical. And I was like, no, I don't think we're identical. <laughs> um, and then we found out we had the same managers. And then we went to Aspen the same year. You didn't know you had the same managers? No, I mean, I was pretty new to L.A. Like, oh, okay. I got a manager and then a month later lived here. Right. But... Uh, yeah, I mean, people always wanted to compare us, and uh, he even sat there one day when we were living together and went, you know, you wear a suit on stage, I really should have gone that extra level. <laughs> he said, I should have really been that cocky. Well, he does, he's slower and more deliberate. You seem to, uh, you know, he's sort of locked into a character that has its own demonic charm, whereas you sell it. <laughs> like right, like right. You're, you're not going to sit there and, and wait that for them to come to you. You're going to s- demand that they do. And if they don't, they're stupid, but right. not stupid in a bad way. They just maybe don't understand themselves. <laughs> <laughs> well, I figure we've we've kind of set up an agreement in the comedy club. Like you've paid to be here. Yeah. And now I'm going to give you a show. I'm not going to pull punches. Mm-hmm. I'm not going to like if the crowd isn't with me, I'm never going to be like sit down on the stool and go, you guys fucking suck. Yeah. Like I'm never going to do that. No, I'm going to fight and push and push. And you've push. never done that. I've done that. It's a great feeling. I've done it. And Where you I've, just sit alone out there for a minute. You're like, really? I don't know. You fucking. This is bullshit. I was in that weird silence. I was in Winnipeg, Canada. Uh, enough said. I no, I don't want to judge. I had a good time up there. I uh, I had a very rough time. I I don't think Canadians like mean humor. Uh, Winnipeg. I did the festival. That is a city that's been beaten by wind. Right. Yes. Just right. To, everything is cracking and weathered, <laughs> and they get like two weeks where the thaw happens. Well, and they kind of. Like, they weren't really on board with me for the first few shows and wouldn't even, like, clap when I was brought to the stage. Really? And so, at, after, at like, the third show, and by the way, I did two weeks. Oh. So, this is, we're into the first week. Yeah, first and, couple days. And I was like, guys, um, you guys don't seem that excited for the show at all. Like, I could be anybody and you wouldn't be excited. Right. Like, I haven't even said anything yeah. yet and you're already not clapping. Yeah. And this one guy said, well, we just assume that if you're performing here, you must not be very good. Oh, my God. And I thought that was the best thing that could have been said. I was like, well, I can't battle your self-esteem. Like, I'm never going to win against that. So that's a that's a weight off my shoulders. Let's just push ahead with the show then. <laughs> and again, yeah, absolutely. They were they were very on board with that idea of, yeah, we're we don't feel good about this place and you're not going to make us feel good. And what's weird is I do talk. So that's off the table. <laughs> right. I'm not trying to make you feel good. And yeah, your city sucks. <laughs> so let's just try to deal with the guts of the laughter now. Yeah, yeah. Now I'll tell jokes that don't have to do with those two things. And we'll see if you like those. Deal? Um, <laughs> is that where you first started talking to the audience like that? Or is that no. a- That's always kind of been in there. Again, yeah. it's that agreement. Like, you guys wanted to be here. Right. So right. I'm just... And I've crafted this thing that you have no idea where it's going. So just relax and let the surprises come but i think that diplomacy comes from like you know spending years on the road with audiences that don't know who the fuck you are that's exactly what it is because <laughs> i i'm so jealous of comics that get kind of famous before they have to headline yeah like i was headlining before i ever got on tv right but it was for you know half filled rooms you said and tv like you're from the uk or canada 
before I ever got on TV. On TV. It's weird. Okay, go ahead. <laughs> on the television. Yeah. Um, on TV, I think. It's on a, TV. It comes up. TV. TV. Not TV. TV. Yeah, it's weird. That's a... Uh, did yeah. you spend time in Scotland or I had a girl I, I had a girlfriend who would say it like that and um it she, always annoyed the hell out of me and then I started doing it, I think. He fucking glommed her twitch. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I hate it's glomming bad. twitches. Bad. Glomming quirks. You're a quirk glommer. We all I are. hope not. I hope no. not. No, you can't help it. Some part of you is missing and it's constantly looking to be you spend defined. enough time with people yeah, and all of yeah, a sudden yeah, yeah, you're yeah. doing their thing. You might as well not have a personality anymore. Yeah. You're just an extension of them. We're all just brains yeah. floating around these bodies. Sure, you're just there. Mirroring stuff. You're a prosthetic that they've been engaged there's, there's to. There's no hope, anybody. Get their meads in it. You're like a giant <laughs> fork for them to eat emotionally. <laughs> Nobody's an individual Nothing. anymore. Nothing. If you're listening to this, kill yourself because it's over. Yeah. Wait a minute. <laughs> we want to get to the, we want to hear more from you. All right. So, okay. So there you are. Fighting it out, no TV, on the road, headliner, doing your, uh, yeah, just trying to trying to get crowds on my side, and a lot of them are there, and they don't know me, and they don't even know what kind of comedy they like. So it's a lot of, you know, you have to take a stand. I feel like and be like, this is the way it is, and this is the way it's going to go, everybody. You have to learn to be a leader. Yeah, <laughs> essentially, it is true, and and also in order to do comedy, that's not. You don't. The, I think the real problem with doing the road, and, and certainly as much as you've done it before, you got any sort of uh, traction or TV, is that a lot of guys just become the road. They become the expectations of what they've decided those audiences want. Yeah, and it's a fucking disaster. Right. You know, the guys that do a lot of road time but still hold on to their their own voice. That's a miraculous thing. Right. Because how many guys have you talked to? It's sort of like you can't get away with that shit here. Yeah. So like, but yeah, you can. Yeah, you can because you're in charge. Yeah. <laughs> you tell them what they're gonna like. Yeah. Don't sit back and yeah. wait for them to tell you. Right. So I'm in Winnipeg right. and things are going poorly. And I did have that one Friday night right. show. It's Friday night. It's sold out. But you you learn later it's a benefit for something. Ooh. And these people have never been to. Like I actually pulled the room. I was like, round of applause if this is your first time at a comedy club. And like 75 percent of the room clapped. That, that, and that, I, that could I, be good. I, right. But I had been just bombing my face off for and a week. I, I, for what Tuesday, Wednesday, well, Thursday? Well, no, those other shows I battled my way through and ended up winning. But this Friday night show sold out, and I'm fighting and fighting and fighting and just getting nowhere. Mm. And it's like a thing of, see, guys, this is that's a joke that is intellectually correct, and it makes you feel emotionally bad. I get that, but do you see that how that works? And now the second joke is intellectually correct, but makes you feel bad. So we're we're on board. That's kind of the thing that's happening, mm -hmm. and they're just shaking their heads, going, "No, we're not going to hop on board for that at all. We don't like to feel bad." <laughs> <laughs> Look where we live. We feel bad enough. Yeah, and I started to note that too. Yeah. Like, if I go to Philadelphia yeah. and talk down to them, yeah. they they sit back in their chair and they go, "Who's this fool talking <laughs> yeah. down to us? Yeah. This is great. Yeah, this is amazing because they actually feel good about themselves right. about their city. Yeah, that it's like okay. So. And if you give them shit, it's a certain sort of regional thing. Like in Philly, you've got well, you got to keep the upper hand. You better be pissing on them in a in a confident way. Right, right, right. <laughs> you can't like you know take a shot and go, like, oh, "I'm sorry." You know, and they'll eat you alive. Yeah, yeah. And I think just generally, you, you walk onto stage wearing a suit and people go, okay, well, I guess this is going to be something. This guy's in charge of something. <laughs> people approach me all the time just thinking that I know what's going on just because I'm dressed a certain way. You wear a suit all the time. Well, I mean... No, if, but you've committed to that. When you're doing a professional show, a you professional wear a suit show, and tie. Suit. Yeah. Not always the tie, but sometimes. Because when I first saw you, I mean, I think I saw you do maybe a few minutes. I didn't I didn't get the whole Ryan Stout experience. No. Like, in my mind, maybe you're like, yeah, he's too attractive. He's got his shit together. He can't be a comedian <laughs> with any real assault. Right. Well, yeah, that's, I mean, that's been a problem, too. That people... Judge you. 
people look at the way I look and the way I carry myself and yeah. think, uh, all right, well, screw this guy. He doesn't need any help. He doesn't need any anything. <laughs> yeah. he's, he's not a victim. He's got of it all figured out. <laughs> yeah. And it's it's like, no, that's that's pretty much a defense mechanism from childhood that I can walk around and be like, you know, as a kid, I was rarely called by my name by some of my peers. Like it was just white boy all oh, the really? time. Like I, I really did grow up as a minority. So wait, and it was all Latino, all Mexican. Pr- not all. I mean, there were there were other white kids around, but uh, went to public school. Yeah, yeah. Fuck. Well, I went to private school the first like two three years. Yeah, and then they didn't want you here. And then uh, I think my parents had another kid and didn't want to pay for me to go to private. You think school. you don't know if you have a brother or sister? No, I mean I think that's the reason oh, that oh. I didn't continue. How to many go are there, Stouts? I've got one mm. little brother and an older half brother mm. from my dad's first marriage. No kidding. He's a genius. He is. Yeah, he works. Your dad or the other guy? Uh, my dad, both my parents are members of Mensa. Are they really? But they won't, they don't attend the meetings because they find it to be a very snooty affair. <laughs> I, I, I bet. What do you do at a Mensa meeting? Uh, yeah, I think they- Oh, we're so smart. They talk about like their IQ scores. They're both Mensa. They, they try to show off that they're smart and my parents don't dig that at all. What the, what, what's your mother's uh, business? She was an accountant forever. A Mensa accountant? Well, she she worked for uh, Fisher Body, mm. which is what my dad worked for, and then Fisher Body got bought by bought by General Motors. How they how two Mensa people end up in the automotive industry? I mean, how they know they were in Mensa just because of the numbers or what? Yeah, just because of IQ scores, and then you do you know your IQ score? I don't not, know my fucking no IQ idea. score. Is there a way we can do that online? Yeah, probably, but it's probably false. Like I I see interviews with people who are like, yeah, I I do IQ tests online all the time, and I'm a genius, and I'm like, you're a porn star. <laughs> You're a porn star who does a lot of IQ tests. That's who you are. <laughs> you can take doesn't, away their belief system. Doesn't mean system. you're a genius. Why do you got to rob people of their gods? <laughs> it's my favorite thing to do. All right, so you grew up in El Paso, and like, uh, what year was this? Was it show, like when I grew up? It was I was able to see the shift from the disco feathered haircut to the cholo movement. When I was in high school, yeah. they went from leather jackets and platform shoes to flannel shirts buttoned at the top, mm-hmm. slicked back hair, and chinos. Right. That like was that, that was a big change. That was still kind of around. Um, the cholo? Was, yeah. But, but it was interesting because in the white side, you know, you go, you went from disco to uh, new wave. And then right. there, was, there was always the, the freaks. They had their section. But the Latino dudes, just, I saw it happen. See you later, platform shoes. Here we go. We're <laughs> yeah. wearing the bandana right over our fucking eyes. Well, that's the weird thing that growing up in a desert yeah. that's in the middle of nowhere. Like it was seven or eight hours to Phoenix, mm-hmm. 11 to Denver, nine to San Antonio. Like there were no other major cities around. So it got culturally influenced by very little. It's it was pretty Texas, much man. they just they just watched what was on TV. And then if it was being sold at, you know, a major retailer like JCPenney or The Gap or something like Wear that. Wear that shit. That just got, yeah, yeah. Y- you did that. Yeah. But it wasn't like music, like bands weren't really stopping through there a lot because it's out of the way. Well, I was you surprised know? when I was growing up, there was, uh, I lived in Albuquerque mm-hmm. and there was a really big Jewish community in El Paso for some reason, pretty mm-hmm. big. And the Jews from El Paso would come up to Albuquerque for like Jewish youth things. And so I knew a bunch of Jews in El Paso. I knew I knew El Paso Jews. I did, I knew a few too. Right? And just a handful though. I mean Yeah. Well, I mean that's enough. I mean it's El Paso. Yeah. <laughs> so it was you and the Jewish kids. And <laughs> Well, from from kindergarten through probably 6th grade, my best friend was always black. Really? Because it was like, "Oh, okay. Yeah, it's us and there's <laughs> I guess we'll bond. <laughs> we'll right. be together. We're we're in the Alamo." <laughs> Uh, they were that exclusionary. I mean, you couldn't get by. Did you learn how to speak any Spanish or anything? 
I tried. I tried really hard. I mean, academically, I was always pretty good. And uh, teachers were always like, Ryan, your your pronunciation's excellent. Don't let the kids tease you. They're just making fun of you to make right. fun of you. Right. But uh, it, it grew to be too much. And I was like, yeah, I'm just never speaking Spanish around Oh, you tried? Kids because and they just busted They'll balls. just break my balls, even if I pronounce it exactly the way I should. So your spirit got crushed. A little bit. And, you, and because of that, you're not bilingual and you're mad at crowds. And my little brother, my little brother is bilingual. Good for him. And uh, Do you get along better with the Latinos? Well, he, he found a different way in, and that is he started causing trouble. Yeah. And so he'd end up in detention with other troublemaking Latino kids. Right. And so if you're a kid and you're going to make fun of that white kid- well, all his friends are like gangbangers. Right. So you don't want to do that. Yeah. <laughs> so he kind of got by and never got really made fun of. And even to this day, like a lot of his friends are uh, Latino. He, got he, lives, pass, he huh? lives in Austin and uh-huh. they'll go out as a group, as a crew. And they're like, oh yeah, Kevin's a white beaner. Don't even worry about it. <laughs> like that's how they'll introduce him. Really? And uh, yeah, he works in a restaurant. He talks to all his chefs in Spanish. And uh, Wow. And his chefs have a nickname for him. They call him Panzón. Which means fat man. <laughs> is he fat? Yeah, he's he's a bigger kid, but he's the guy in charge, so I think he gets uh-huh. that a little bit. So like, this is your little brother. Yeah. Your blood brother. Yeah. Full on. Right. And you guys couldn't be more different. Yeah, and like I've talked to I talked to a therapist about it a little bit and he was like, Ryan, you probably protected your little brother a little bit from that stuff. Like kids who were making fun of him for his skin color, you were probably like, Yeah, Kevin, don't listen to them. Yeah. Because they're just, you know, picking on you. Right. Like the stuff that- Were you? Was I Did you defending him? Yeah, I think I was in a lot of ways. You don't quite have the memory I don't. Though. I don't remember doing it, but- <laughs> right. uh, You'd like even, to believe it? I mean, I'd like to believe it. And I know there were instances of like just growing up, like if my parents were fighting, like telling my brother, like, yeah, don't worry about it. They're just, mm-hmm. they're just angry right mm-hmm. now, but it's not, it doesn't mean anything. But when the Latinos did it, you didn't say like, yeah, they don't like me either. Yeah. <laughs> Kind of. Yeah, that's pretty much what it was. Right. Uh, the one thing I remember about growing up in the Southwest, though, that a lot of people don't necessarily grow up with, I, I think Texas is the same, is that I saw a lot of guns around. Yeah, my dad's I mean, got a lot of guns. Sure. I mean, there were just guns around. Like in high school, I remember the kid who said, come here, let me show you this. And he had a fucking 38. And I'm like, great. What happens now? We <laughs> we done with the show and tell? Because I'd like to get out of this room. Right. Well, I remember being shot at. Ooh. But not, but not at me, but just cars. There were just kids with their parents' guns. Oh, my God. Just drove around. Like my buddy's car got just like someone put a bullet in his door for oh, nothing. And then one time I was going to a George Thorogood concert and we were fucking around just teenagers in the car with some other car, uh, another carload of dudes. Mm-hmm. And we're just, who knows what was going on? It was, we, I don't know. When did you get your driver's license? I was 16. Yeah. We get a 15, 16 yeah. in the Southwest. So we're just kids driving around fucking with other people in cars. And sure enough, these guys come up and a gun came out the window. And we're like, wow. No. Yeah. But it wasn't unusual. I grew up with guns pretty early on, like my dad and his buddy Dick McGill. Yeah, that's a good name Dick for a McGill, gun owner. He was, uh, I, Dick McGill's Johnny Cash in my mind. Like yeah. he was a guy's guy, always just sipping Michelob. Right. Like, yeah, let's go out to the desert and shoot some ducks. Let's go. Uh, Where was he from? Texas? 
I don't know where Dick was from. <laughs> but this was in Texas. But this was, he had a wife named Sue. Oh, good. So that's a- uh, That works. <laughs> Dick and Sue McGill. Yeah. Um, perfect. And so Were I learned- Were they swingers? They sound like they might be swingers. Nah. Uh, not to my knowledge. I okay. don't know. I was a be kid. Better. They Wouldn't never said anything to me. They were swingers? <laughs> Dick McGill and Sue McGill? Dick and Sue. You ever seen those pictures on swinger sites or, or photographs and they just look like those people that are you would never assume just country music fans? Oddly enough, I've never been to a swinger site. I don't know if it, I saw it on a site or they were just pictures of uh, swingers in a book. Mm-hmm. I think it was a book, but they're just like trailer people. I'm like, oh my God, of course that makes sense. Oh yeah, they have nothing better to do. They're going to hang out and fuck each other. And now let's fuck somebody else. Yeah. Cool. (laughs) Yeah. Can we come over to your trailer? (laughs) But you know, it's all sort of, uh, you know, codified in in, in something like sexy, but it's not. It's just like fucking- Yeah. It's people just trying to come. Yep. Fucking someone's wife wearing a Confederate hat. Yeah. Yeah. Gross. (laughs) And I've watched some terrible, awful things online. Like there was a- a time in college where my friends and I, we would just email each other links to terrible things. Yeah, no, I know. I'm, and, I've been uh, through that. And eventually just sort of like, I think my, I think my brain will never be the same. I have to stop. And it, and it won't. It won't. No, some and, of it. And I think I got to the point where it's like, yeah, I won't look at anything anymore. No, I- Because I, I've, I've seen enough and yeah. um, I've yeah. had enough. Yeah. It's only going to grow and get yeah. worse and you, worse and you worse. You get sort of like the internet porn version of the thousand yard stare. Yeah. Like, you know, I've been in, um, you know, yeah, right. post-traumatic stress from being, <laughs> assaulting yourself with bad porn. Yeah. Well, what can't you get out of there? What'd you put in your head that you can't get out? Oh, there was, uh, it, yeah, and mostly it's, it's pornographic stuff that was sent. Like, uh, one of our favorite videos was this, this guy nailing this girl from behind and you're like, oh, she's pretty nice, nice breast, whatnot. And then she rolls over dick and it was like, oh, the timing of that was so perfect. (laughs) So perfect. And now you feel ashamed for liking it or whatever. And, uh, well, that's something you got to reckon with in yourself. I mean, you were just, you were fooled for a minute and you probably kind of, you know, it made you confused for a second. And that's what we were going for. Right. With each other. We're just trying to send each other. Surprise. (laughs) How'd that make you feel? Who? are you yeah yeah but none of the really nasty stuff i mean i got when i was before the internet there was a we used to deal with videotapes that went around Mm -hmm. the uh that guy shooting himself at that press conference right the the, politician yeah the treasurer from uh what is his name dwyer i think his name was bud dwyer or something yeah and that you know that took a while to get out of my head because i put it in there anytime people would come over dude have you seen the have you seen this yeah you gotta see this the amount of blood that came out the nose yeah was just something that, just that stuck in my head because i was like yeah i guess that would happen yeah sure you'd, i you'd guess shatter everything in between your... nothing else yeah. to hold the blood in there <laughs> yeah. that is where it would come out gravity wise <laughs> Like, and that's a problem too, because I'll sit and watch these things and analyze them and have no emotional response. It's all intellectual. Yeah. You've killed it's it. It's all you've like, killed, oh yeah. Yeah. You've killed your heart. And that's exactly why my act is the way it is. Cause it's like, yeah, your heart this is, is dead. this is this and yeah. I have no emotion left. Yeah. I'll watch the news and terrible things come on the news. You know, four kids died, and the first thought is not, oh, that's terrible. The first thought is, all right, what happened? Yeah. What'd they do? Or, and how can I make it a joke? Who did what? Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Flesh us out. (laughs) (laughs) I was sitting with my buddy, Brett. I've known Brett since I was, you know, in high school. Yeah. He moved to San Francisco, and then he lives down here now. And we're sitting around, and I was talking about, Brett, I'm trying to make a joke about this thing. This fallen soldier's mother was crying over his casket when he got returned from Iraq. And... I'm just trying to make it this thing. And we just repeated the phrase, a fallen soldier's mother. Okay, wait. So a fallen soldier's mother, 
a fallen soldier's mother. And it's just, it got to a point where it was coming out with this rhythm like, yeah. so two guys walk into a bar. Right. That's where we're starting. Two guys right. walk into a bar and there's no connection between what we're trying to do or where we're trying right. to go and how we feel. But nobody nobody said, why are we making a joke out of this? <laughs> At some point it did come up, but uh, I was like, <laughs> let's ignore that, but let's keep focusing because this is this is going somewhere. But what do you have the same thing Jeselnik does, which is just sort of like, I want to do jokes that are going to provoke people to wonder whether or not they're right or wrong. I I take a little bit of a different take because I want them to laugh, but I want it to be for a very logical reason. Right. I want them to say, yes, intellectually, I can't deny that's funny. Right. Right. But uh, I think he's, he's just a little more mean and shocking about it at yeah. times, whereas I, I kind of, I can't justify that. Right, so you're you're about you're about logic and then about framing things. So it, yeah, I, like I, the <laughs> uh, the N word bit is really funny, and the stuff about you know when I I I took issue with not you, but I like the way you talked about how you know don't you you know you shouldn't do jokes about rape. It's like that wasn't about yeah, that. It wasn't a rape joke. No, that it was, was just, about dieting. Yeah, it's just. A, and oddly enough, after that bit, the the diet bit, I actually don't like explaining it to the crowd. Because I felt like as an artist, you should just do the bit and let it stand on its own. Right. You know, a poet never has to explain the poem. Yeah, because you no just one put under, it out there. Yeah, but no, no, a lot of people don't understand poetry. W yeah, you would have to actually get out a dictionary yeah. and study the words and things <laughs> like that. Yeah, and they uh, don't they don't apply logic. There's not, you know, like with modern poetry, it's not necessarily logic. It's about pictures and images. You, it, yeah, you, you follow a structure. It's about finding, yeah, like capturing some emotional essence yeah, just yeah. a little bit. Yeah. yeah. Um, but I didn't like explaining it to the crowd, but I would take too much shit if I didn't explain it to the crowd. People, and even even people that have reviewed the CD currently are like, yeah, he's doing this awful rape joke. And I'm like, all right. Yeah. I even told you on the disc it wasn't a rape joke. Right. You know, people who just heard that the CD has a rape joke and like the comment section is like, I don't care how funny his rape joke is. He's basically just culturally pushing us towards a culture of rape. Yeah, he's making it acceptable. <laughs> you like you haven't even heard the bit. Yeah, would you at least listen to the bit? What well, that? Well, that's just well, that's an example. And by the way, I think it might be a good time to uh, to put a plug in for the record. Ryan's newest CD is uh, called Touche. Yeah, yeah. And uh, I yeah, some people tell me I ought to play bits by comics on the show, and I think why not let them go do their own work? Yeah, why go buy the CD. Go buy it. Yeah. That would that would help me a lot. Buy the track. You can go buy the track. <laughs> <laughs> you know yeah it's called a new diet yeah and you can listen to that right now yeah and you can buy the n-word track for we'll, 99 we'll wait. cents yeah yeah we'll wait and just buy the full cd well that Come but on. that to me is like that's that's great satire i mean swiftian you know if i can drop some fucking words i've that's something that i've tried to emulate actually the it's, modest it's, proposal it's amazing that you bring that up because of all my bits that's the one that i relate most to a modest proposal because i read a modest proposal in high school soon after i bought George Carlin's back in town. Right. And I heard George's voice saying the words off the page. Oh, really? And that was very helpful to me. That's so we're part way into the piece in English class. Yeah. And I am like doubled over and like tears are running down my face because I think it's hysterical that somebody would ever say, yeah, we could solve all these problems if we could just eat babies. Now, yeah. hear me out. Come on now. <laughs> yeah. Just listen to me before yeah. you get emotional. Right. We could do, we can make the skin into gloves and one baby will feed this many people and we'll get rid of crime. And it was such a logical, methodical thing. And of course, there were other people in the class going, this is terrible. This is disgusting. I'm like, he's joking. Yeah. He's joking. <laughs> and so there were like five of us in a class of 30 and 25 of them are going, no. 
No, no. Be- but even like, but I can understand on some level how someone you know viscerally would not find that funny. Yeah. But you know, he was trying to make a point. Right. And and I think you do that on your CDs that you know, okay, see what you just did. You laughed at that. Yeah. And you might not have understood. And those of you who didn't laugh at didn't get the point that the the basic the. The nuts and bolts of satire has been kind of shattered because there's so much shit. It's hard to tell what's real and what isn't real or what, you know, what stand you're trying to make and whether or not, you know, everything has the same uh, intellectual value now for some reason. Right. It's weird. There is a level for me. You can't you can't satirize a culture that is so fucking ridiculous. (laughs) <laughs> that it's it's almost impossible to to find irony, right? And and the people you're satirizing sit there and don't understand that you're satirizing. Yeah, them. they take everything at face and then value. They're like, oh, okay. Yeah, I was trying shallow. to make I was trying to make fun of those yellow Livestrong bracelets, you know, yeah. back in 2004, and I realized like, wow, I'm doing a great job at this, but everybody in the audience is wearing one of these, and they are. <laughs> Not understanding <laughs> they're that the, they're the I don't believe them. Yeah. You're not supporting cancer. <laughs> you bought that for fourteen dollars off of eBay so that you could wear it as a fashion statement. Mm-hmm. And uh, or, oh, or, and, but and even bright that, yellow. How how modest of you? Yeah, but, right. But even the idea that they're they're helping cancer by buying it at all is yeah. on some level ridiculous. Yeah. Why don't you just what? donate the money? Right. What are you going to celebrate it for? Yeah. What do you have to I, you tag yourself as somebody with a conscience? And that's what I was saying. Is yeah. bright yellow. You're going to yeah. tag yourself with a bright yellow. Yeah. How about you know, just something, something less noticeable. Yeah, I mean, I think that the type of comedy you're doing is uh, is is rare now, and it's good. Thanks, man. But you don't, do, but you do, but you don't do politics, really. I don't because, um, I well, first of all, I'm kind of. I'll be honest with you. I'm pretty f- fiscally conservative mm-hmm. in a lot of ways. I mean, yeah. my dad is a numbers guy, engineer, and my mom's a numbers lady. Right. So and, you don't care about poor people, and uh, <laughs> yeah, that's how it goes. <laughs> um, I I really truthfully just uh, like especially with comics I don't yeah. understand how like we're in a business where you can fight and be in pro- poverty for twenty years right and then make two million dollars but politically you're arguing that you should be in the highest tax bracket mm-hmm. and so the government's going to take a huge chunk of that two million dollars mm-hmm. whereas in my head I'm like no that's severance pay for you working really hard for 20 years shouldn't you get paid off for that yeah like, we don't need streets <laughs> um right I mean you sure <laughs> certainly should pay something but the government as as is doesn't take your prior income into consideration like okay. I learned that from my very first, my first TV check was something really small. It was like five thousand dollars. Yeah, and uh, once and it, that had to last you two years, <laughs> right? Right. Well, I, I worked on this thing for like three months, and yeah. I got five grand. Right. And once I got the check in my hands, it was for two seven seven seven. Yeah. And, I, and then I had to give $500 to my agent and right. 500 to my manager. So I had $1,777 welcome for to the three system. months of work. Yeah, welcome yeah. to the system. And I was like, this doesn't work at all for right. some reason. Well, then there were those moments. It's like, what am I paying the manager for? Yeah. I mean, I got this. <laughs> and then it's like, do I really need this other guy? And then the government, you sort of take that for granted and wonder where that's going to go. But I mean, there's social security. I don't want to get into a political conversation. I understand right. your point. Well, and and socially, even both my parents, really socially liberal. Sure. Like very much like, yeah, sure. what do I care? I was even sitting with my grandfather who has voted Republican just 
based on finances forever. Right. And uh, yeah, I mean, he was a Democrat for a long time. And then he said, every time I vote a Democrat, they would just take my money. And uh, so I had to to turn. Yeah. (laughs) But I'm sitting there with him and I don't know this guy that well. And we've just spent two days, just the two of us. Your grandfather? Yeah. How do you not know him? Is your father's father? Yeah, he grew up, I, I grew up in Texas. He was in Indiana. So even when we would be around each other, I would be a kid and he's an adult and we're surrounded by other people. Like we're not having meaningful conversations. No, but it's, you have so a it's, grandfather. Right. You finally, a relationship. Finally, I'm an adult and right. I'm hanging out with my grandfather. Right. And it's just the two of us. Mm-hmm. And it conversation not getting, not getting really deep, really. And then the last day that I was there, he's just looking at me and it's quiet. Yeah. He won't have the TV on, yeah. no radio. Yeah. And he just says, what do you think about all these gays wanting to get married? Mm-hmm. And I was like, I don't want to get into this with him the last day that I'm here. I don't want to, he's going to be dead. Why do I need to fight this fight? And so I just kind of deflected and I was like, well, you know, I think it's, it's going to bring a lot of money into the California economy. And, you know, (laughs) you went with a political argument. I just, I just went with, well, this is a good thing that can happen that fits with your ideas about money. (laughs) And uh, he's just got his two, (laughs) he's got his two fingers against the side of his face and he's got his arms kind of crossed a little bit and he's just shaking his head now at me and then he goes i don't know why anybody cares yeah and i was like oh you're that you're that libertarian yeah that's who you are yeah you don't want anybody to do anything that affects right. your life and you don't want to affect anybody else's uh-huh. and that's pretty much where you're at yeah do you think that has anything to do with your emotional numbness a lot yeah <laughs> <laughs> the fact that I don't immediately empathize with people. Yeah. The fact that like something had to go wrong uh-huh. someplace, right? Right. Um, I think too, like my point is for me, capitalism isn't about money. Capitalism is about passion. And if you work a terrible job and you go into that terrible job that you never wanted for 20 years, and then all of a sudden you don't have the job anymore. Like my question is, well, what else were you doing? Like if you're working that job eight hours a day for 20 years, what were you doing with the other time? Like, didn't you have any passion that you wanted to explore well, I think that's, and turn I, into something that, and, and well, fight for? Maybe not. That might be a little shallow, too. I mean, some people in the old style model of things mm-hmm. is like a job is a job. Right. If you like it enough, you're lucky. <laughs> Yeah. But, you know, but your focus is like, you know, I'm saving up for the boat. And so me and my wife, I got the kids on the boat and I go spend this time with the kids. I got the little league team. Mm-hmm. Believe it or not, Ryan, some people have families that they enjoy being with. <laughs> I believe and, that. Yeah. And and that is their passion. Right. You can't gr- begrudge them. And they, they actually have a, probably a, a healthier outlook on work it, it, and a healthier idea of what loyalty is and what they deserve from right, work. Right, because they've worked for their family well, right, and it's and just a job. It's not who they are. Right. And they're right. not sitting there going, God damn it, I wish I was a fucking artist. <laughs> they, they might be, but maybe they're grown up enough to realize, hey, I can still paint on weekends when my kids aren't fucking with my paints. Right. Yeah. Well, like the, the careers that in entertainment that we've chosen and plenty of people we know, like it's always, we're always asking each other, so what are you working on? What are you working on? And you've always got like a job that you're fighting for a job that you have and something that you'd really like to do mm. and there's always a new thing that you're trying to create i guess and so there's there's passion in that and you know even if and it doesn't have to be a, or, or at the very least compulsion right well the weird thing about and this is you know, speaking to the type of people we are in terms of politics is that you know quite honestly you know the last job i had Mm-hmm. That could be considered like a job on in terms of, of the way real people live was I was a, a barista in Harvard Square mm-hmm. at a pre Starbucks coffee shop. Yeah, I didn't like it, okay. but I never thought about making money. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I thought about surviving. Right. 
but I never thought about tax brackets. I never thought about any of that stuff. Mm-hmm. And and I'm not a stingy person. And I and I think I do have empathy, and I and I like to help people out. Mm-hmm. But it, I don't live in the same world that most people do because of what we do. And and what you're saying is true is that you go through lean years where you're like, I don't know what the fuck I'm gonna do. <laughs> I haven't got anything. I got to borrow money from my mother so I can fill my car up to drive to the middle of nowhere to perform for idiots for four hundred dollars. Yeah, if yeah. that. Right. Uh, but you know, I was compulsive enough mm-hmm. and and apparently stupid enough not to change tracks. <laughs> but like your generation, you're a little smarter. You're like, oh, I'm writing the thing. I'm on working on this thing. I still don't do that <laughs> shit. I don't. Well, I'm not that way. Like no? I, I don't really have anything coming up right now. I I did a pilot, and I was lucky enough to get that. But uh, for me, it's stand up. And my manager even told me he was like, hey man, no if one's you're doing gonna, that anymore. If you're gonna have a career in this business, you have to sell a show and then sell another show and sell another show. You got to do something. Waiting around to you know be in line to maybe host something on TV. Like, even though you're okay at it, you're good at it, it well, that's, that's a, not a business plan. Well, no, because, like, what they see, and, and I think it's not illogical, is, no, that, it's not. Is, is that, like, okay, so here's the stand-up thing. Take a look around. How many stand-ups are making a living off of just stand-up mm-hmm. and, and succeeding in show business? There's always about five. Yeah. You know, and, they, and they've generally got other things going on. Sure. But if you're, if you're, you've got all your eggs in the Brian Regan basket, <laughs> you know, or the Jim Gaffigan basket, yeah. uh, you better stop challenging the audience so much. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Exactly. You can't be an artist and make a living at this. No, I think you can be an artist, but you have to, you have to realize that I need to play to a bigger audience. Right. Well, you can't be an artist maybe and should, have the same business plan. Maybe I shouldn't indulge the thoughts about what if Jesus was aborted, <laughs> which I used as a premise once too, but you did a very better a much better job with it than me well that means a lot um my mind ended up with the the three kings you know showing up at a dumpster at, behind an abortion clinic <laughs> <laughs> i mean that could be tacked on to the end of my joke sure it could go work. ahead yeah yeah but it's a little messier you know yours is <laughs> it clean. is messy clean and yet yet you still did uh establish the unborn fetus mm-hmm. as as a life of a like if you believe that's a, a life and you believe that's right. murder then think yeah um you are conservative, so I um, I don't I don't have any ideas about yeah. like television. Mm-hmm. Like I don't hardly even watch TV. So uh, yeah, people want people want way. a show idea from yeah. me, and I'm like, okay, how about this? And they're like, nah, that'll never work in today's market. Well, don't, but don't okay, even think okay. about it. Keep doing that because eventually, you know, if you're in the room with the right people, <laughs> yeah, someone will Somebody go. Will like, that's make it fucking amazing. Yeah. yeah. So let's talk about this thing about the uh, the empathy thing because I think that's a cultural thing, and I and I don't think it's specific to you. Do you, do you think it's do you think it's kind of because of the internet and because of the mm. disconnect and the the time we spend looking at a screen rather than each other? No, no, I think it's 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 a it's it's cultural selfishness. I, I think that that we've all like just even having a conversation for an hour is an odd thing, mm-hmm. given the ability to avoid it. Right, and and I think that we've become you know insanely self involved. Yeah, and that what are and this is also somewhat of a libertarian thing and i think even a conservative thing in terms of capitalism is like hey how do i get ahead mm-hmm. Where, where's mine what do i got to do what work do i got to put in and if i focus on my shit and i get ahead why the fuck should i give any of that shit up right. but i think that you know everybody sort of feels like you know i i'm i'm my own world here and uh, i got no time for the rest of the world yeah and I, 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 I think i, I think uh, part of it just came out of uh you know a, a car culture 
You know, you get to be in your car. It's your own little special world, and everybody gets to be in their that little the world all the time. Right. And uh, it started there, and then we but started believe being it or not, at home co- more. People used to drive to their family's house. Yeah, and maybe we were driving to grandma's. Mm-hmm. All right, so you know, on the way over there, you could be saying, "Fuck, I don't want to go to grandma's. Fuck. Do we have to go again? Do we got to stop and get anything?" Yeah, and and somewhere along the line, yeah, at some point, uh, someone said, "You know, we're not going to grandma's." <laughs> Well, now if you're a kid going to grandma's and you don't want to go, you can sit in the back with your phone and ticky type away and look up whatever you want and have your iPod on, listen to whatever you want and not be part of what's happening anymore. That's true. Yeah. You can totally choose to not engage engage. with people. And that's totally acceptable. Man, I think this is a second record. I think that you know you should take your intellectual, logic-ridden jokes that confront the audience and explore contemporary culture from your own selfishness. That sounds just heavy enough <laughs> for me to want That's, to do that. And there's the title of the CD, Just, just Heavy, heavy enough. enough. We've got the work Let's, done. Uh, yep. Let's set up the blueprints. But uh, so, so you grew up with guns. Yeah. Um, Did you grow up uh, shooting shit? Learned how to shoot like when we were 10, 11 years old. Yep. And from that point, um, that's where we got in Dick McGill because they were always they were always big on gun safety. Right. Like we're going to show you how to use this tool and we're going to show you what it's like to go hunting and we're going to teach you how to use this. But you're also going to learn a level of respect for it. So the chances of like my brother and I finding a gun someplace and then playing with it and going, oh, look, this is cool. That's never going to happen. It was never going to happen in our lives. (laughs) And all the kids that I knew who grew up around guns had a healthy respect for you know right. the, what the item was and right. i think that comes out of education and right i think guns aren't the problem it's the lack of education yeah my dad had guns too and you know i i've struggled on certain days with whether or not i should have a gun because then it gets and then you, you cross into that libertarian zone of like okay so let's say something's going on in the house yeah who are you gonna call the <laughs> cops yeah but how long is it gonna take him to get there <laughs> oh fuck that's right. a good point um I, I and i do kind of feel the you same way now i do not uh. Um, I feel the same way Bill Maher does about, you know, originally we had guns to protect ourselves. He's always going off on that rant, but we can't protect ourselves from, you know, fighter jets and flamethrowers and right. things like that. You know, right. if the government's too big. Well, I mean, so, if, you're, I mean if you're in a situation where there's a flamethrower and all you have is the gun that you have to protect your house, <laughs> clearly so much other shit has gone wrong. That, <laughs> yeah. That, that, there's that, a zombie <laughs> apocalypse happening and all I have is the six shooter. Yeah. God if damn it. If you're up against a flamethrower and a jet. <laughs> <laughs> you did something really wrong. You really caused some trouble. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You you better have something. <laughs> Ryan really pushed some buttons at that show because now the, the whole that gun couldn't the help whole him. Country's angry now. <laughs> oh, uh, that'd be. The I do. Best I do like the idea of making people angry if they're not going to listen. Mm-hmm. And I really love the idea of crafting a joke where somebody can be left behind if they don't have certain information. Oh, I love that too. Where, where you clearly you're about midway through or two thirds of the way through a multi punchline joke. That has that moving somewhere, and you've, you've, there's that chunk of the audience that like they just didn't do their part of it, yeah, and they're lost. Right. And then you have that moment where you're like, you're lost because you didn't show up for the joke. Yeah, yeah, I love yeah. that. Yeah, it's a great moment. I've got. And this... you should make them pay for that. Yeah, well, and that's how do. I feel too. I'm yeah. like, you, you didn't have the information, and now you suffer. <laughs> that's how it goes. That's how my world works. <laughs> Screw you. Yeah. It is it is hard to take overseas. Like uh overseas I, is difficult. I, yeah, I had uh this joke about uh it's about Chinese fire drills. 
No. Well, yeah. Well, that. And, then, and you know, yeah. I show up in Australia and I'm like, what's your word for Chinese fire drill? I'm like, what do you guys, what's it called? And they're like, oh, that's called red light game. And I'm like, well, that joke's not going to work. <laughs> Can't do that. But how does your tone work overseas? I don't know if you're sarcastic, but you're definitely um, sardonic uh, and there's, charming. There's, it's not sarcasm and it's not cynicism. What do you call it? There's, uh, there's uh, a level of self-righteousness, but I undercut it with. But that's a joke. Right, but I I also undercut it with hypocrisy a lot. Yeah, but the, your general tone is sort of it's tongue in cheek. Yes, and which is it's hard to convey. Well, well, <laughs> well, no, it's not hard to convey. You know, like I get it immediately. Mm-hmm. I mean, you set it up on your record very quickly. Uh-huh. But like you know, as as the tone of your character mm-hmm. on stage, I mean, does that tone exist? You know, like they have their own version of it in England. Yeah, and and uh, I I just want. Have you tried to when when I was in Scotland? I I kind of had a rough time in, in Edinburgh. In well, first in, first in Glasgow. That's all right though, right? Um, it was okay, but <laughs> took a few if, days. If you YouTube Glasgow the stand comedy, yeah. and you watch comedians on there and yeah. watch you know the, their pacing, mm-hmm. and I can't even understand them half the time. Yeah. Um, and then you watch you know a clip of me, which is on my YouTube page yeah. in Glasgow. Yeah. Um, I don't move nearly as fast. I don't hit as hard, and the audience doesn't react as much. Right. And then I move over to Edinburgh. And it's, there's, I guess they told me that it's more touristy and yes. it's a different part I, and yeah. this and that. And I had some kids there from London and they were like, man, that was great. You could pass as European. Hmm. And I was like, that's a, I guess that's a compliment. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Well, they're familiar with that tone. Yeah. Uh, but they have their own version of it. Yeah. I think they're probably more familiar with that tongue in cheek stuff than people are in America. Yeah. I America so takes too. things. It's very surface, man. I mean, if you get, you know, if you start to, you know, once the, you're skipping the stone and it plunks into the water, they're fucking lost. They're done. Oh, yeah. I've thought about that a lot as far as popularity in America. Yeah. Because even though I hate popularity and I, I don't think I would be a good famous person, like, mm-hmm. I don't think I would handle it very well. Mm-hmm. Um, but you kind of need a level of popularity to maintain, you know, making money in this career. Yes. You know, you can easily get to a point as a headliner in comedy clubs yeah. where clubs go, yeah, man, you're great and you're funny, but you don't draw. So we can't book you or you have to feature, but we don't want to feature you because we don't want you blowing our headliner off the stage. Right. You know, and so you get to a place where, yeah, you're really you funny work. and you're not popular. So you're done. Yeah. No, it's fucking crime. Right. It's but crime. And, and I think I think popularity, a lot of it comes out of when it's easy to describe what somebody does. Well, also when you find like, you know, you do have access to a lot of avenues to finding your people. Right. You know, like I didn't expect this thing, this to, thing yeah. to turn you into a, a uh, thing. whatever, a thing, <laughs> uh, which is fine, mm-hmm. but there are ways to do that. And it is, you, you do feel better when people understand what you're trying to do. Yeah. You know, and you sort of operate in that area where, where, you know, an audience you know, on a good night should be, should feel a little stupid. yeah Uh, and i wonder too i've always argued that if i had a room full of people who already liked me who already knew what i did it would it would not be fun for me because how am i going to push their buttons they're there to have their buttons pushed i did i opened for uh no but but that's but that's like i used to think that too but that's a miss that's not right yeah because they're they they they're gonna they're gonna challenge you to do it so it's gonna make you have to go harder you have to go bigger better stronger a little bit yeah i mean which fits right into your you know fiscally conservative mindset that (laughs) that you know that once you've found your work the ethic has to go because they like what you do Uh and they're like i hope he's got some surprises yeah yeah Yeah. um 
I was opening for for somebody. It was a huge theater. It was it was Saget, Bob Saget. Yeah, and uh, it was at Purdue That's University. That's a good matching. Yeah, Bobby and I get along great. Right. He's uh he's been really good to me. Yeah. Um, but uh, Purdue University, like two thousand seven. And everything got an applause break. Yeah. And I was just bored. Yeah. <laughs> it was like, well, yeah, really, you guys, you're just going to give it up for everything? Yeah. And then I walk off stage and they're like, uh, wow, that was great. I wish you would have told us we could have taped that and had like a three camera shoot. And in my head, I was like, yeah, that would have changed my career had you just taped that. Would it <laughs> it would have been very easy to convince people. But of- it's funny, but your feeling of playing a bigger room where there's applause breaks, you don't get to... Like, cause you, you know, you like to kind of build and, and do this weird kind of, uh, wrongly righteous sales pitch. Uh-huh. But when they're laughing at jokes and you got to wait for a theater to simmer down, you're <laughs> like, and eh, now I can't really get that art going. <laughs> right, right, and, right. Yeah. You've already bought it. I can't. Uh, yeah. What else am I going to do up here? <laughs> Fuck. Let's go to the next thing. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, I'm self-sabotaging in that way. <laughs> no, I don't know. I think it's just learning how to pace for that situation. Right. But you, you move very quickly. Uh, you know, you, your, your, uh, your delivery is fast. And that's not necessarily, you know, people in theaters, like by the time, you know, you're, you're moving on to the, the next joke and it's, the, only, yeah. it's only halfway through the room. Right. And then right. everything gets fucked up. You can feel <laughs> the timing in the theater get fucked up. Right. Like you've moved on and then it's like, where is everybody? Well, you, you left all those people out of the last one. So we're all, we're not sure how to time ourselves. The first time I performed in a theater where the seating went up, yeah. you know, and the audience is like coming down on you kind yeah. of, my left leg would not stop shaking. Oh, and yeah. I didn't understand what the hell was going on. Do you I know? was like, I've done stand-up a lot. What is going on with this left leg? And I walked off and I told somebody, they're like, oh, have you ever done a theater where the audience is like on top of you and that wave of laughter is coming at you? I'm like, no. They're like, yeah, it was probably that. And whether it was or not, I kind of went, yeah, it was probably that. And it never happened again. Really? But I I do consider it to be like an animal type response where it's like, oh, there's a lot of loud noise coming at me. <laughs> Holy Christ. What the hell am I going to do? My leg wants to leave. And my voice my voice never wavered. I did the whole act fine. Yeah. I just hoped they couldn't see it shaking underneath the pant leg. Yeah. And uh, I was like, oh, all right, I'm going to get the hell out of here. So it was like a twitch. It wasn't like a like you weren't my, shaking. My knee was just going back and forth. I couldn't, I had never felt anything like, like a it. a muscle spasm almost? Yeah. It was just like bending and wow. straightening. I was like, oh no. That's wild. This is something that is happening. Holy shit. I mean, you have those moments on stage where you just do the jokes and your mind is someplace else. Right. Like I've, I've I felt myself wake up on stage before going, sure. oh, are we in the middle of this bit? Okay, just keep doing it. That's just keep talking. Sign. Here we go. <laughs> bad. Yeah. It's happened. It doesn't happen a lot. I mean, I'm very no, present because I'm dealing with people. Right. Well, sometimes <laughs> I think usually it happens when part of you has given up. You're sort of like, I, I'm going to split. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so well, one good. time it happened because I got on stage. I was on stage for like 10 minutes and I got the light. Yeah. And I was like, have I done something wrong? Yeah. I'm supposed to be here for at least... 35 more minutes yeah and then the lights started flashing and then it just went off and then it was off for a while and i checked my watch and i was like okay and then i find out later they were just having an electrical problem oh. but you know yeah. i'm not present at all in the show i'm doing the jokes but in my head i'm like what's going on back is there? there something completely wrong why wouldn't you go is that was that light for me <laughs> i don't know why but i just felt like I felt like I was still trying to get the audience on my side and I was gaining momentum, so I didn't want to give up on them. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> a lot of thoughts happening on stage. Yeah, all, all the Jesus. time. It's fun when you can sort of like, but that's the one benefit of the theater is like when they're laughing or applauding that one joke, you can sort of just sit there and go, wow, I got a minute here. 
Yeah, I'm going to leave this yeah. and let that go. Yeah, that's good. Man. <sighs> Here comes the next joke. This is easy. <laughs> I'm kind of dumb in that when I started doing stand-up, I kind of thought it would be like the comedy albums that I bought when I was a kid. I pretty much everything I could get my hands on. Mm-hmm. And they all sounded like, you know, you walk out onto the stage at a theater. Mm-hmm. Ladies and gentlemen, George Carlin. Yeah, yeah. And that's how you start. You yeah. start there. Yeah. Not Winnipeg, Canada. Please welcome Ryan Stout. Right. Yeah, one guy. Okay. Yeah. yeah. This is where we begin. <laughs> <laughs> and so I think I, I always had my career geared toward the, the, let's that. do big theaters and let's have this thing ready. Yeah. And then this battle came in of yeah. these tiny crowds who don't know me. And that became your style. Thank that, you. That you should thank him every day for it. <laughs> I know. I am becoming more and more thankful of it because- it's you learn how to do comedy that way. I think. No, oh, absolutely. I think if you're popular and then start to tour, just based on popularity, when popularity goes away, well, now what? No, when you fight uh, <laughs> to find, you know, when you fight to develop that relationship, then you own your territory up there, and it's yours. This right. is what I do with this. Yeah. Well, you're doing good, man. You feel good? Feel great about it. Yeah. Yeah. You okay? Yeah. Me Thanks, too. Man. Thank you for the ice cream and the CD is very good. Thanks, dude. That's it, people. That's our show. That's the amazing Ryan Stout and, of course, Matt Graham. Go see him at the New York Fringe Festival. Go pick up Ryan Stout's new CD. And what about me? What about me? I'll be in uh, San Francisco doing that animal benefit on the 8th of August and Utah on the 11th. Go to WTFBot.com for all my dates and information. Get some merch. Kick in a few shekels. Pick up the premium app. Pick up the first 100 episodes on DVD. Uh, see who's been on the show. Get on that mailing list. Get some JustCoffee.coop. Hold on. Pow! Wow, I just shit my pants. Haven't done that in a while, but now I've got to go inside. Thank you for listening to my show. Thank you. Thank you. Boomy. Boomer. Hey, Boomy. Boomer. Oh, shit. Come here, buddy. You guys heard that, right? Did you hear it? I hope you heard that one. What's he doing now? The carpet.